Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. I'm going to be seated with you as well. My name is Will Vakurvich. I'm one of the pastors here. And last week, I had a great opportunity um, to be able to go with my family over spring break up to Page, Arizona, which was absolutely incredible. If you live in Arizona and you haven't visited there yet, I highly recommend it. Um, but one of the things I found out on the, on the last night, my youngest son decided it would be a great idea to like get the stomach flu. Um, so I got to stay up all night with him and try to sleep on a couch and, and those things. So I found out that I'm old. And when I try to stay up all night and sleep on a couch, it makes my back go crazy for at least three or four days, whatever day we're on now. So I'm going to be sitting, but if you've seen me preach before, you know I'm probably not going to be sitting for long. So we'll see how that goes. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If not, go ahead and raise your hand and one of our ushers will get you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, please consider this our gift to you. Uh, we would love for everyone to have an opportunity to grow in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord and be able to experience God through His written Word. So, we go to Page, Arizona, and I realize something about myself. It's kind of a confession. See, I grew up in Northern California in the Bay Area, and yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, uh, that's right, you guys should all respond that way. Um, home of the best sports teams, 49ers, Warriors, right? And uh, one of the things I didn't realize until I moved here is it's very colorful. Like, the hills in the winter are green because it rains, and then in the summer they turn like this beautiful golden color. There's trees that don't stab you if you try to touch them. It's true. Um, lots of, like, there's ocean, there's the bay, there's water, there's animals. There's lots of beautiful things there. And when I moved to Arizona, I kept hearing over and over that the desert has its own kind of beauty. And I would, like, smile and nod. You know, like, when somebody just had a baby and they're like, isn't the baby beautiful? And you're like, yeah, it doesn't look like a lizard or an old drunk man. You're right, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, so we go to Page, Arizona, and I realize that all of you people who have lived in Arizona longer than me and have experienced the beauty of the state, you were actually right. Um, Page was incredible. We got to do the, the Antelope Canyon little tour deal, and if you've seen, like, a screensaver of a beautiful canyon, that's Antelope Canyon. Um, we, my wife and I got to do Horseshoe Bend, which was this beautiful, incredible site. If you haven't been there, so, so you hike up this hill, and then it kind of flattens out, and it just looks like, oh, there might be like a little drop off there. And then you get to it, and it's like, I don't know, very deep, a thousand feet, I'm going to say, I have no idea. But it's this deep, like, canyon where the Colorado River actually makes a horseshoe. And then there's, like, this huge structure and beautiful rocks and colors and all these things. And, and we kept hearing, you've got to go there at sunset. You've got to go see it at sunset. So, so we did that. And we, we left our boys with Grandma and Grandpa, which is a huge blessing because I'm pretty sure our little kids would have just, like, run and jumped over the cliff because <laughs> they're boys and they do that all the time. Um, but so we get there, and, and it's amazing. It's incredible. There's just tons and tons of people taking pictures and, you know, eyes wide open, jaw open. It's just this incredible sight. And so um, it was very windy and we're getting pelted with sand, but the beauty, you know, far surpassed the pain of sand in your ears and nose and everything. Uh, and so my wife says, let's, let's stay for sunset. So we're going to have this cool, awesome moment, right, where we watch the sun set here at, at Horseshoe Bend. And right as the sun was starting to set, these clouds just kind of like right in front of us. So, so we didn't get to see that, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful. 
Um, and it was, it was interesting because, you know, we're posting pictures on Instagram because we want to make sure other people know that we're there. Um, it's very important. <clears throat> and, uh, and somebody says, I know that the Bible says that we are God's handiwork, but this is incredible. And I thought that's going to be a perfect sermon illustration because I'm preaching on God's handiwork, so divine providence. Thank you, God. Uh, but it's true. We see these beautiful sights and we think like, gosh, I am so small. And whether you believe in God or not, however this beauty came to be, that's incredible. And we saw these sights that were just breathtaking. The, from the depths of the canyons, the beautiful colors, uh, the, the sights, the way the rocks are formed, it, it, was, it was remarkable. And even to see in our little boys, you know, these times when they would just kind of stop and look. They, they couldn't help but notice that this is a special place. God, God did something really beautiful here. So, with that in mind, or whatever aspect of creation you have experienced that is just taking your breath away, right? Maybe it's the ocean. Maybe it's the moment of birth. Maybe it's, you know, whatever it is for you. Think of that most beautiful thing. Think of that thing where you have felt a connection to God, a connection to something that's bigger than you. That moment, maybe it was at a summer camp, wherever it was, when you saw those shooting stars, whatever that thing was, keep that in mind. And we're going to read chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians. Paul says this, For we, meaning God's people, are his, meaning God's handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that sight that you had in your mind, that moment, is beautiful. That is God's power and creativity on display. But that pales in comparison to how God views us. That moving moment that you have experienced is nothing compared to what the Father sees when he looks at his people. I remember when I was in high school, um, the church that we attended preached through the book of Ephesians. Uh, it took them three years to get through the book, so be thankful it's only going to take us one. And, and I remember the pastor talking about this, and he, and he talked about this handiwork. And it was in very, like, construction terms, which didn't really resonate with me because I'm not a handy guy at all. You can ask my wife. Um, she knows that if she's going to ask me to, like, hang something on the wall, like, it's best if everyone just leaves the house. Give me a few hours to try to figure this out. It doesn't go well for me. I'm not, I'm not handy. And, and that has just been highlighted my whole life because my dad is, like, legitimately one of the handiest guys ever. He literally built their house with his bare hands. And, you know, I struggle to, like, change the oil in the car, right? So later in life, I heard this same verse preached. And, and the way it was described was if you look back at the original Greek language, the word for, for handiwork here is where we get the word for poetry. We are God's poetry. Or we are God's masterpiece. Now, earlier in life, that would not have resonated well with me because um, I wasn't really into poetry when I was younger. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had a pretty bad taste in my mouth. My freshman English teacher um, was a nice lady. She decided to do a unit on poetry, but she had a very um, interesting lens through which she viewed every poem. Somehow she would make a poem show how men were like evil and oppressive towards women and just the worst things on earth. So at that young age, I realized poetry was not for me. Uh, it wasn't until college that I had a professor who actually um, opened up this world of poetry and I realized that it was incredibly beautiful. 
I also realized that my entire childhood growing up listening to hip-hop or rap music was actually exposing me to poetry. I just didn't have the lens to understand that. But when I started to appreciate poetry and understand what the poets were trying to do, it gave me a whole new perspective. See, before that, I always thought poetry was just stupid. Then I realized maybe it wasn't the poem that was stupid. Maybe I didn't understand what the poet was trying to do, the way that they arranged these words. Um, the poet Samuel Coleridge said that poetry is the best words in the best order. It's this beautiful picture. See, one of the things that I love about poetry is I'll read a line and realize I have felt like that for years, but I've never been able to put it in words. Poetry touches us at a deep level, an emotional level, more than just writing prose does. So there's something about poetry that invites us in. There's something it communicates at a deep level where it's not just read, it's also felt. And so over the years, I've grown in my appreciation for poetry. I've grown to see the beauty in it. And it's not only, you know, Shakespearean love sonnets that are describing puppy dog love. There's beautiful poetry that deals with the deepest places of our hearts, places of pain and hurt and anguish and brokenness, and they can describe it well. Some of you may be thinking of your favorite lines of poetry now. Those lines that you hear them and you felt it the first time it was spoken. I'd love to give a whole list of my favorites, but I know not everyone's into poetry. I just want to paint the picture for you guys of when God views us, he's seeing us as his masterpiece. As that moving landscape where you felt connected to God. As that line of poetry that brought tears to your eyes and a lump to your throat. God calls us his masterpiece, his workmanship, handcrafted. Scripture tells us that the Lord knits us together inside our mother's womb. He knows every hair on our head. He loves us with a pure fatherly love. Not a distorted fatherly love that we feel here on earth, but a totally pure fatherly love. Uh, Zephaniah says that he sings over us. He rejoices over us. That's how the Father views us. If we end there, then we're left with kind of like an Oprah feel-good sermon, but the verse doesn't end there. It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The beauty of this is not something we have attained on our own. It's not because you are so great that God views you as his workmanship. It's not because you have done amazing things for yourself or for other people. It's not because of the status you've attained at your job. It's not because of how clever or beautiful or fast or strong or whatever thing you think it may be. It's because we are created in Christ Jesus. Paul's conveying here that when the Father looks at us, he sees his Son. He sees his righteousness which has been shared with us because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Because he pours out his spirit upon us. Now we can be adopted into God's family. Now we start to see that we are part of God's masterpiece because of what God has done, not because of what we have done. And I I had this interesting realization as I was studying for this. I started to read commentary after commentary, different things that were written, And so many people would take this verse that says, for we are God's workmanship, and turn it into because you are special. 
because you are a great individual, because God loves you so much. Despite the fact that Paul clearly says we are his workmanship, through our cultural lens, we view this as I am his workmanship. Now, there's truth in that. It takes a bunch of eyes to make a we. But what Paul is saying here is that this people of God, that God is collecting from the ends of the earth, are his masterpiece. This people of God who are, who are diverse, who are different, who have different stories, different ways that this ultimate poet has crafted their story to fit into his people, are majestic, are God's masterpiece. God has taken this, the words of our life, taken the best words and put them in the best order to create us, to engraft us into this new creation as one with his people. Not just here at Redemption Tempe, not just in 2018, but throughout history, part of God's family. In Christ Jesus, we have been adopted into this new family. And like each family knows, we have our, our family culture. We have our family identity. Things that we do. Paul makes this clear here, now in God's family, as this workmanship who's been created in Christ Jesus, we are created for good works. There is a purpose to this. We aren't simply grafted into this family so that we can hang out with one another. So that we can pat ourselves on the back and tell ourselves how special we are. We are special. We are chosen. We are called. We have been died for and resurrected for. We are now sons and daughters. There is a sense of, of the truth that we are special, but we are special not just so that we can sit around and feel good. We are special for a purpose because God has prepared these good works for us as his people. This is consistent throughout scripture. We see God engage in these special moments with his chosen people for a purpose. We see this start all the way back in Genesis 12 where God meets with Abraham and he says, I have a purpose for you. You, your family is chosen. Your family is special, not because you're special, but because I am blessing you so that you can bless all nations. You've heard us talk about this. This is where we get the word ethnicities. All ethnicities on earth will be blessed through this special people. Not so they can sit around and talk about how special they are, but so they can get out and do work. So they can go actively participate in blessing all nations. We see this in Exodus 19, that God is talking to Moses, forming the identity of his people who have been enslaved for over 400 years. He calls them a royal priesthood, right? A, a holy nation. These people who, who have been called out, who are to live different, distinct lives, for the purpose of serving as a mediator between God and the nations. There's intentionality here. We saw this a month ago as we walked through our vision series in Jeremiah 29, that God's people are to seek the shalom of the city. God's people are not just to kick back. Yes, rest is important. Sabbath is vital. But the Christian life is not a life of comfort. The Christian life is a life of mission, a life of sacrifice, a life of active love that displays the beauty of who God is. The overwhelming love with which the Father loves his people. That is the message that we are to convey to others. 
We see this in Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples, go and make other disciples of all nations. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Jesus calls his disciples friends. You see, before this in Scripture, as God is revealing his plan of mission to Abraham, he calls Abraham his friend. And then as he reveals this plan to, to um, Moses, he calls Moses his friend. But as Jesus is preparing to be crucified, buried, and, and raised again, he tells his disciples, you are my friends. You understand this plan of mission that the Father has entrusted me with. Now I am entrusting it to you. So when we say that we are on board with this mission, we must understand that we are signing ourselves up for a life of sacrifice, a life of service, a life of living intentionally, embodying the gospel message that has saved us in the context to which God has sent us. This includes the work that we do, whether it's teaching, working for an insurance company, being a stay-at-home mom, serving in the military, whatever your vocation is, God has called you. God has sent you to a specific people. If you're interested in this, come to First Wednesday and Jim will tell you all about it. But we are to now live on mission. There are these good works that God has prepared for us. Not so that we can earn our salvation, but because we have been blessed with salvation. Because the Spirit is active and moving inside our lives, we can't help but talk about it. We couldn't help but talk about El Tapatio Mexican restaurant in Page, Arizona, because it was one of the most delicious machaca burritos I've had since I've lived in Arizona. When good things happen, we talk about it. When we visit beautiful sites, we take a picture, post it on Facebook and Instagram so we can share it. This is what Paul is getting at here. When we're able to see the ways that our lives have been transformed by the Spirit, we can't help but share it, and people can't help but notice it. Think of Paul. Went from a religious elite, sees this new faith movement growing around this person, Jesus, tries desperately to stamp it out, persecutes the church, and then has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus that transforms his entire life, his entire worldview, his identity, who he is, what he's living for, is radically altered. He, he wrestles with how to make sense of what he understood now in reality of this resurrected Jesus who has met him, who has confronted him in the middle of his path, where he thinks he's doing God's work. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Paul realizes the direction he's been heading with his whole life needs to change radically. And the people around him notice this change. Right at first they're scared. I don't know if we want to let Paul in. He might murder us and imprison us, just like he's done so many other times. But they see this transformation. See this radical shift in his life. Now some of us have that moment. That moment where God met us. We probably weren't even looking for him, and God met us, and our lives changed. Thank God for that. For some of us, we didn't have that moment. Maybe we grew up in the church, or we just started coming to church, and next thing you know, we're kind of like talking to God sometimes, and then we're reading the Bible more and more consistently, and we find ourselves spending time with other Christians, and then at some point you realize like, huh, I'm a Christian. Hey, that's okay too. 
A lot of times from stage, we talk about these big Saul turning into Paul moments where God knocks us off our donkeys and we're like, I don't even ride a donkey. Like, never, never had this happen. Sometimes it's a slow change. But there is this time when we are transformed. When we were not in Christ to being now in Christ. This is a work of the Father. This is the Spirit being active in our hearts because the Father loves us, calling us to something bigger than ourselves. Just like Paul taking the words of our lives and putting the best words in the best order so that we can be that poetry for others to see. God saves us for a purpose, not because we're great, but because his mission is great and his love for us is great. Because he wants that love to spread. So he calls us into his family. He calls us into this mission to partner with what he's doing. Not because we have these great talents. If you've hung out with us on staff, you know we're just kind of ordinary people. But because his spirit empowers us. Because his spirit moves. We tend to look over at that moment, that Paul moment that you had when God knocked you off your donkey that you don't ride. That was God's spirit at work in your heart. Those subtle moments of I should pray for someone. I don't know why, but I should pray for them. I should pick up my Bible. I should wake up early on a Sunday morning and join God's people in worshiping him. That's the spirit at work. Crafting us into his masterpiece. And the thing, see, the thing is with these masterpieces, we can't help but notice. The world around us can't help but notice the change. As we were driving into Page, we didn't realize where Horseshoe Bend was. If you've ever been there, you're driving in, and it's kind of off to the left, and it just looks like a dirt parking lot. But we knew something was there because the parking lot was packed, and both sides of the road were packed with cars. We saw this line of people going up. There was something about that spot that drew them in. This is the life that we're called to live as God's poetry. This attractive life, not in the sense that we water down our message so that everyone comes to our church, but attractive like a magnet. Like the world around us can't help but be drawn by the hope that we have, by the joy and the love that we have. There's something different that invites us in, that invites the world around us in. This is what we're called to. We who say we have hope in Jesus, we're called to share this hope. We who say we've experienced the Father's love, we are to share this love. We who can testify that the weight of our sin has been lifted from our shoulders. We have physically felt forgiveness, that the burden has been lifted. It's no longer ours to carry. You share news like that, not out of obligation, but because it has changed us. Because it has changed the way we see the world. The way we understand what's happening. This is the movement of the Spirit that Paul is getting at. He, he set up this whole line of reasoning that we were dead in our transgressions. But by grace, God has made us alive in Christ. We have the Spirit guaranteeing us. It's, it's a, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Church, this is really good news. This is the kind of news that would motivate the early church to go seek out the poor and show them love. 
to take in abandoned orphans and, and care for them and raise them as their own. To move into areas of disease and plague and show love to those who are sick and who are dying. And this is what empowers us, the same spirit, the same faith that empowers us today to embody this gospel in all of the ways that God has called you, whether that's in your work, in your service, the way you raise your family, the way you speak to others, the way you love in a generous, costly, sacrificial way. This is the same spirit moving through God's people, accomplishing his mission through this beautiful, eclectic group of his family who's been brought together in Christ, empowered through the Spirit. It's a simple message from a simple verse. God loves us. When he looks at us, he sees a masterpiece. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged not just to feel good about yourself, but be encouraged to go out and share that good news with others. Live that good news. Practice this good news because it does have implications for all of life. Believe me, we made a t-shirt about it. So in closing, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray that these truths, the truth of the Father's love, the fact that despite what the world around us says when the Father looks at us, he declares us his masterpiece. Despite the fact that all of the other voices we hear throughout our culture that we're inadequate without another product, that we need this experience, that we can always be better, that those voices are lies. The true voice of the Father is that he loves you, that he loves us, that when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his Son that covers us despite our flaws, despite our sin, despite our brokenness. And because that's true, because that's life-changing. We can't help but share it with others. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. Father, you love us more than we know. Would you help us to feel that more? Would you help us to know that more? And would you help us to live that more? God, when people experience us individually and us as a community of believers, would they experience you? Would you continue to mold us into the image of your son? Would you continue to make us more accurate witnesses of the good work that you have done in our lives and in our world? Lord, it's easy to hear that we are your masterpiece, but so often it's hard to feel that. Would you help us to rest in that truth? Would you make that more real to us? We thank you that you are a kind father, a gentle father, a loving father. We thank you that you work in the midst of our brokenness as you are restoring and reconciling all things. Lord, thank you for the areas that you have called us to serve. Thank you for the places where you have sent us. Would you give us the words, the courage, the creativity, to embody this gospel for others. Lord, would you move throughout our community? Would you bring people who don't yet know you into saving faith? Father, would you stir in our souls a passion to walk in these good works that you have set up for us beforehand? And we know that if you have set them up, then you will give us everything we need. You are faithful. 
We thank you, Jesus. Would you help us to love you more? Would you help us to trust you more? We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. So now we'll give you a few moments of quiet reflection uh, to, to listen to what the Spirit is saying to you now. And in a few moments, John will come up and lead our time of response.